This is episode 63 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. Okay, so really important trigger warning. Today's Angry Tech News might be a little bit short on hot takes. Uh, It turns out that one of the sources that I shamelessly steal a decent number of my sarcastic and biting commentary from, specifically Reddit comment threads, have gone dark in protest of an inept move from a social media company who genuinely does not seem to understand their user base. Since my last rant, the company has backed off of their original everybody pays screw you position. Uh, They've introduced an API exception for accessibility apps who now don't have to pay the exorbitant rates they're charging. They've introduced an exception for apps that use less than 100 API queries per minute. Uh, I'm not not clear if that's per user or across the entire app. Uh, It's also free for... Well, let's see. It's free if you use under 100 queries per minute if you're using OAuth. Uh, 10 queries per minute if you're not using OAuth. Um, again, not clear if that's per client or not because the Reddit admins seem to be blurring the lines in order to make certain apps look bad. Uh, Steve Huffman has set out to uh, enter a, a PR war against the developer of the Apollo app who got a lot of press last week for basically pointing out that Reddit was completely destroying his free app, one of the most popular programs for accessing the site in existence, and their API was going to price them out of existence. And now they're saying, well, look at how inefficient these are, even though um, the Reddit people don't even provide any way for developers. Like developers are pretty much seat of the pants with Reddit. There are no real dev tools there. The API is poorly documented. Not all of the APIs are documented. Uh, And they provide absolutely no way to tell how many uh, API calls you're using because that really wasn't that important before. And of course, they rolled out the new requirements before they rolled out any kind of tools to help developers make the transition. They're just screw you, make the transition or shut down. Uh, Reddit also says that mod tools will continue to have free access, although it's not really clear how they're going to distinguish between mod tools, bots and regular apps. Uh, But apparently the way that you do this is if you are a developer of a Reddit app, you make a personal plea and request using a faceless web form saying, please, 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 can my app continue to exist? In an AMA, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman backed up uh, the API changes Uh, in in the thread. It was hardly counts as an AMA. The Reddit admins posted 21 times in response to more than 33,000 user comments as of this morning. Regardless, the new API requirements are going into effect July 1. So if you're using Reddit on an app, you better find a new way to do it. Either go to their really crappy official app or use the web. Uh, One of the quotes he said was, it's become too costly to keep the API access free when the platform itself is struggling to make ends meet, which in my mind is a tacit admission that Reddit is failing. Uh, He did emphasize that 90% of third-party apps will not pay under the new rules because they don't hit the API usage threshold. 
which I think is probably worse on developers than requiring them to pay up front because instead of getting charged for access, no matter what, and at least having a, a solid goal in mind saying, I know I'm going to get charged. Uh, they have the, the specter of getting charged for access. If you get too many users, which by the way, is a death sentence for a general purpose app. The moment you become popular, your whole cost structure changes. And, uh, that's uh, it, that kind of uncertainty is kind of death for a software project. Uh, the AMA also specifically called out Apollo dev for quote blackmailing Reddit by doing interviews. Uh, they gave stats on how Apollo is using far more OAuth API hits than the official app. Although uh, the thing I liked the most about that was that some independent user analysis suggested that the reason that Apollo uses so many more API hits on the official OAuth published OAuth API is because the Reddit app is using a private non-published API and also makes about five times more requests through that API than any other app uses through the OAuth. Oh yeah. And if you're an app dev, good luck figuring out where you are. Yeah. Anyway, well, poking around to see what's up and, and dig through this story because it, okay. It's not even a story. I'm not technically in the story segment. I'm in the, the opening rant talking about me segment because this has me so pissed. I don't even understand how my show is supposed to go while poking around to see what's up. The site did in fact go down entirely while I was trying to read it. Uh, not just the, the three or 4,000 subreddits that are still at this point, completely dark, but also the, the main site, the admin tools, the, the user, everything went down. It didn't go down for very long. Uh, the admins, of course, are not going to say why it went down, but I did like the speculation on Hacker News, which is, is pure speculation. There's nothing to back this up, but they said, uh, you know, the way that the block lists are implemented is that every time that you make a request, it runs through the linear linked lists of all of the subs that have gone private or dark or blocked or whatever. And the many, many thousands of subs have created such a strain on the servers that it's completely broken it. I have no idea if that's true, but it sounds plausible given how crappy the rest of the software is. They might just be that dumb. Okay, let's go to the actual part of the show. We'll start with a couple headlines. Uh, in particular, here's, let's start with, some stories that I'm going to say I'd normally cover these, but I found some other show that does it better because that happened several times this week. For example, uh, also the, these are, by the way, are also called shameless plugs for other shows that I like and listen to. And you should too. Uh, the blue microphone brand is being retired. Uh, blue microphones came out with their iconic snowball microphone in 2005. And then the Yeti microphone a few years later, cementing their place as the patron saints of podcasters on the cheap. Logitech purchased the blue company in 2018, folding the microphones into its large selection of Logitech hardware products. Now Logitech is poised to end the blue branding. Its flagship products will now be known as the Logitech snowball and the Logitech G Yeti names, which I'm sure you'll agree roll off the tongue much worse than blue snowball or blue Yeti. As for what this means to the microphone industry, I don't know. For microphone talk and news, you are much better served listening to Bandrew Scott of the Bandrew Says Podcast, or the Bandwagon Says Podcast, or the Bandolier Says Podcast, or the Headbanger Says Podcast, or whatever the heck he's calling it this week. He might not know what his podcast is called, but he definitely knows his microphones. Next, Barracuda Networks have had a breach 
so bad that they are encouraging customers who have their email security gateway appliances to discard and replace the devices due to backdoor malware activity actively exploiting the vulnerable machines. This is the kind of story I'd normally cover in detail, but I don't think I can do it any better than the excellent report done by phone boy on episode 88 of the Lotus effect. Phone boy is an honest to God security dude named Ben in his day job. And he really knows his stuff when it comes to computer security. And he nailed this story. He did a great job with it. If you want to listen to this story about Barracuda networks, go to Lotus show. And while you're scrubbing through the two hour episode, trying to find the 10 minute segment on the one story you care about, maybe drop them a voicemail to their voicemail line, telling them that they need to add some podcasting 2.0 chapter markers to their episodes. Also, iOS 17 added some new podcast features. Okay, to be honest, I didn't really understand this story. Something about making it easier for corporations to charge you money for paid podcast content or something. But whatever it was, it was important enough that TechCrunch wrote a medium-sized article about it. You know what? Never mind I said anything about it. Rest assured, anything important and relevant to podcasting, you will hear mention of it on Podcasting 2.0 with Adam Curry and Dave Jones. Oh, also in podcasting news, complete side note, Spotify is testing out their first ever offline mode again. Uh, this is a rumor, no details, just a rumor. We don't re really report rumors here, but I thought I'd mention it because podcasting uh, and because it's always seemed like a massive hole in the Spotify product that they require you be always online, even for things that you already downloaded. I guess if they're doing it better late than never, but that's really only if they want it, if they manage to do it in a way that doesn't suck, which is hard to imagine for big corporations. Next, General Motors just signed an agreement to use Tesla's supercharging stations starting in its 2025 model year electric vehicles, following in Ford's footsteps, a story I covered last week, and tipping the industry a little bit more in favor of using Tesla's proprietary charging standard and away from the less patent encumbered CCSJ1772 standard, which is still the standard everywhere outside of North America. A format wars is coming. Oh, what else do I got? Uh, oh, there is a ton of AI news stories that, that I encountered while researching this week. I glossed over them because I don't like reporting on AI stories. I think AI is mostly hype. But if you want AI, go listen to AI.cooking with CSB and GWIF, who cover it in ways that I could never care to. And actually, uh, they make that show pretty entertaining, so you should listen to it. What else? Uh, Apple announced some stuff at WWDC, including a $3,500 pair of ski goggles. If you want to hear about that, well, you figure out which podcast to listen to. I'm not interested. What's next? Wall Street Journal is reporting that Amazon Prime is toying with the idea of an ad-supported tier. No real plans yet. Yet another rumor story, but that didn't stop the Wall Street Journal from reporting it. Uh, according to their report, uh, existing prime video subscribers would automatically start getting ads with a quote prompt to pay more to remove the ads. However, they say the ad breaks would be short, which I think is missing the point. Most of the people who don't want ads do not care how long they are. They don't want ads. I guess this is yet another tech company who is feeling the crunch of all the free Silicon Valley money drying up and taking it out on customers with higher prices and a worse user experience. Next up. Uh, in March, Microsoft released Bing Chat, a chatbot that lets you talk directly to ChatGPT. How the hell did this get in here? I thought I wasn't doing any AI, AI stories. Bad Ryan, bad Ryan. From the convenience of your Microsoft browser, uh, the chat Bing Chat is directly integrated into the Edge browser, but also accept, accessible on the web, but only in Edge 
as enforced by a server-side user agent check. Starting this week, Bing Chat also works in the Vivaldi 6.1 browser. Oh, that's why it is. It's a browser story, not an AI story. I'm safe. Bing Chat also works in the Vivaldi 6.1 browser, according to a Vivaldi press release. The browser spoofs the Edge user agent, making Bing Chat work in Vivaldi. So if you wanted to use the Microsoft chatbot, it should work now in, uh, I, I guess, if, if you're looking for a browser to use that isn't Edge, that'll work right up until Microsoft changes their detection algorithm, I guess. So you can get the benefit of a Microsoft-powered ChatGPT directly from Bing without having to run a Microsoft browser. Of course, if you're technically literate, you already could do this by spoofing your user agent using a Chrome extension or the built-in user agent dot override setting in Firefox or whatever. You know, you if, if you want Bing, you got Bing. It's it's not, not making that difficult. And last headline, Google Drive is ending support for Windows 10 x86. Also ending support for Windows 7, 8, and 8.1, but they've already pretty much killed everything on those OSs with their automatic updates. 64-bit Windows 10 and Windows 11 is now required. You cannot, uh, there is no 32-bit operating system that works with the Google Drive desktop app. They say that the browser still works if you're on a 32-bit operating system, but the app will no longer be able to automatically sync to PC anymore. I don't even know why this is a story. I, you know, I should have probably vetted my notes before you know, not drinking enough coffee. Anyway, according to StatCounter, uh, this was probably the thing I found most interesting in the article. Uh, Windows 8 and 8.1 have 1% of the Windows share. I am the 1%. And uh, even more scary, Windows 7 still has 4% with Windows 10 pulling out about two-thirds and Windows 11 making up the other 28-ish. So, uh, you know, go Windows 8 users, we are the 1%, and go Windows 7 users. You guys, I gotta be say, I'm impressed sticking in there. From the Call of Duty Corporate Warfare Department, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission has filed suit in the U.S. District Court of Northern District of California, a.k.a. San Francisco, or asking for a temporary restraining order against Microsoft Corporation and Activision Blizzard Corporation. If you recall, two weeks ago, the U.K. Competition and Marketing Authority also issued a regulatory filing seeking to block the merger between Microsoft and Activision. Uh, according to Therat.com, uh, quote, Sources close to Microsoft indicated last week that the software giant was considering a strategy in which it simply ignores the UK CMA in order or order blocking the acquisition. So regulators are saying, hold up, you guys shouldn't merge. And Microsoft is reportedly, at least according to Paul Thorat, saying, oh, we're going to do it anyway. I don't, I don't know the details of that. Um, but the rest of the filing, uh, which uh, unfortunately I read, I, I, I'm sorry about that. Uh, goes on explaining how if this merger goes through competition in the video gaming space will be irrevocably harmed because Microsoft would have an advantage over Sony when negotiating to bring Call of Duty, Black Super Secret Covert White Ops Modern Modem Warfare 318 to the PlayStation platform, with the remaining details of the FTC complaint filled in by Sony's legal team. Microsoft, Activision, and the FTC have all issued press releases saying that of course their side is correct and they look forward to presenting the case in court, with no apparent acknowledgement that press releases and courtrooms are in fact different. 
And from the user-generated discontent, discontent department, Minecraft is now one of the most popular video games ever. Now in its 15th year, Mojang, which is at the moment a wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft, is still releasing updates. Minecraft 1.20 came out last week. The Trails and Tales update, they're calling it. There's new blocks, new mobs, a new biome, and that pretty much is just like every update before it. But now, this time, you can ride camels in-game. But the new update isn't what I came here to tell you about. I firmly believe the main reason that Minecraft has remained so popular for so long is because of mods. Mods created by the community, not by Microsoft, because you can only do so much in official releases. Mods, any game that's moddable, the mods will keep the game fresh and therefore replayable by changing it. Each time you play, you can load a different mod pack. It becomes a slightly different game. You play it over and over again. It doesn't become boring. Well, now it seems that mods are adding a little bit more excitement to the game than the people signed on for. Bleeping Computer is reporting on a new type of Java malware called Fracturizer that rides in on infected Minecraft jar files in order to, what else, take over your computer. The payload is pretty standard fare for really evil software. It steals cookies and stored credentials from your browsers. It scans the system clipboard. If it detects you've got copied any cryptocurrency uh, wallet address to your clipboard, it silently replaces the address with one of its own so that you're paying them instead of yourself. Uh, while of course saving off your crypto address so they can drain your wallet whenever they want. You know, the usual, uh, it steals account credentials from my Microsoft Discord and Minecraft so that they can log in as you. It scans your system for any other jar files, such as other Minecraft mods, copies itself into those, infects the other jar files. It creates a shortcut to run the malware after or on reboot. Uh, and of course, like any good malware, it has automatic updates from the botnet C2 server so they can add features later without your knowledge or permission. But that's not even the scary part to all of this. Somehow, this Fracturizer malware has made it into several mods and mod packs on the popular mod sites CurseForge and Dev.Bucket.org, including, but not limited to, the mods Dungeons Arise, Sky Villages, Better MC, Dungeon Z with a Z, okay, Skyblock Core, Vault Integrations, Auto Broadcast, Museum Curator Advanced, and Vault Integrations. I feel like I'm kind of safe because I don't know what any of those are, but I, I don't download. Anyway, CurseForge is currently investigating how this might have happened, but it's not a stretch to think that the malware could have got CurseForge credentials by infecting a mod developer's computer. Uh, it would be enough to just download an infected mod from the official mod site and launch Minecraft just once to infect every Java file on your system, which includes infecting all of your other mods. And with all of the other things in the payload, they... You know, once you're infected, they can grab your browser cookies. They can log into CurseForge with that. It's not much of a stretch. One developer, in fact, documented precisely that in their private Discord chat uh, as saying that he attempted to test out an infected mod and it quickly turned into a supply chain attack, which affected all users of that developer's mod packs. For now, Minecraft mod users are urged to stop all downloads from CurseForge and dev.bucket.org until further notice. If you are concerned you may have been infected, there are links to scanner utilities in the blink bleeping computer article in the show notes. Although if you're even a little bit technically minded, you can check them out for the malware yourself by looking for the paths where it stores its files. On Windows, it's in the user folder, app data, 
uh, under a path called Microsoft Space Edge with a space. The real Edge folder uses Microsoft Edge, all one word. Um, and then if you look in there for a file called libwebgl64.jar, because it's not like they would name it malware.jar. Uh, on Linux, the files are in your home folder under .config slash .data slash lib.jar, which is refreshingly generic. If your computer is infected, then as with any comprehensive malware suite, the only safe option is to reinstall your operating system and then delete and re-download every jar and mod file before launching Minecraft again. Or just reinstall your operating system and don't launch Minecraft again. Get outside, place, you know, run around in a park, do something, do something productive with yourself. Go podcast or something. Anyway, there are tools out there that can find and remove Fracturizer today, but given that it has auto update capability, there's no way to know when a new version will come along that can't be detected. Angry thanks go to Raymond Zorger and Eric Rankin for their fiat support of ATN and to NetNed, who was the only boost this week saying, I believe the term you were looking for is asshat. I don't disagree. I don't remember what you were saying, but I don't disagree at all. Uh, as well as everyone who offered up streaming support using a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. There were actually quite a few people more than I wanted to announce, mostly because the streaming Satoshis, when they come in, there's uh, dozens of transactions per person, and it tends to cause all of the transactions to scroll off the top of my script, which sounds like my problem for having a crappy script and not your problem for streaming Satoshis. I think everybody should keep that up. Anyway, Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we do not charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $10, $50, or $150. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry.